And a huge game for Katie McCabe's Arsenal in the WSL. In rugby, there's shock team news from Munster. In racing, Jane Mangan will mark her card. Stephen Higgins previews the Australian Open. And Greg Allen has the latest on the Hero Cup in golf. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn2FM. Welcome along. I'm delighted to say that Alan Cawley is with me in studio. Alan, I know you have been driving in, so you might not have got to see the snooker, but I'm sure you've been following it anyway. I'll ask you about that in just a second. But just on that shock rugby news, so Conor Murray has been dropped by Munster for tomorrow's Heineken Champions Cup round three game against Northampton Saints. A lot of people very interested in this story. So Craig Casey is going to start at scrum half, while Paddy Patterson who people will have heard of um, quite a lot. He's among the replacements and he is been touted as a bright shining star for Munster. So it'll be interesting to see if he does get game time. And just while we're on the Heineken Champions Cup, Ian Madigan will return for Ulster for their game away to La Rochelle. Scrum half John Cooney misses out. Madigan is one of eight changes from their defeat to Benetton last week, while Hugo Keenan will win his 50th and Keen Healy his 100 Leinster cap against Gloucester this weekend. Alan Cawley, did you manage to... Keep an eye on the snooker. I know you watch it all of the time because all you do what, is watch sport. What do you think? Of course. Of course you can fill me in. The best app ever, and I'd love to hear people's view on this, the best app ever, Skygo. All right, text us on uh, 51552 there if you like Skygo. Like it's I. my app. So in the car and all, you have it. Like Obviously, it's on the, the coverage of no matter what you want to watch, all the sports, whatever you have at home on your Sky channels you have on the app it's absolutely unbelievable so, <laughs> modern technology so Alan it did it went to a decider Judd Trump not another, that you were driving and watching no it no but you, you can have the commentary yeah. in the background which obviously keeps you up to date but mm-hmm. it went down to a decider yeah and you had Judd Trump and Barry Hawkins Barry Hawkins got in first and they always say in a decider you just want one chance and you can live with yourself if you go home that night haven't had your chance and whether you're taking it or whether you haven't taken it uh, you can live with yourself but sometimes if you get to a decider and you break off and the lad comes in and clears up obviously you feel very aggrieved because you feel as though you never got that one chance Barry Hawkins had his chance he was in the balls missed an easy enough shot down the rail um, and Judd Trump came in and cleared up so Barry Hawkins had his chance he'll go home tonight feeling as though he had his chance but blew it and Judd Trump came in cleaned up and it's the second decider that he's won this week as well because he was under serious pressure he was 5-4 behind and came back and won so I'm glad for Judd Trump he struggled all season but he showed a lot of fighting qualities people associate I suppose Judd Trump with being that swashbuckling snooker player and going for mad shots and, and a brilliant player that he is but he showed a lot of character and fighting spirit and I'm glad because I think the competition is better with him in it. Alan, you're wasted on the football. Snooker all the way. I love that was a perfect snoo- summary, summary of it all. My first love. <laughs> I can imagine you in the car now. Given My first love. Traffic. <laughs> and people say it was a misspent youth. It was the best youth ever. The, the, the town hall, the CYMS town hall in Sligo. My dad used to run the club. All the really? Young I didn't know your dad ran the club. Yeah, that's keeping young lads off the street. It was a brilliant place. Yeah, brilliant place for young lads. We used to go down two tables in the town hall and dad used to run it like a proper snooker club. No messing, very disciplined. You come down, you play every evening. I was there all weekend, every weekend. Lived in the place. Absolutely. That's the beauty of living in a town as well though because you could go like in the country now there wouldn't have been anything like that. Yeah, so it was a, it was a brilliant location bang in the centre of town and saying that it was underneath kind of you had the town hall all the offices and it was two tables down the bottom that uh, we had the two lovely snooker tables in it was well looked after and this was going back years and years long people did that all the time yeah Yeah, it's it's not so much a thing anymore which is a pity a massive pity because as I said the amount of young lads that uh, would have came through the doors and and spent their weekends Mm -hmm. there all the lads kind of even older than me I would have hung around not even hanging around with those lads but lads I would have known who were a lot lot older than me would have came into the club and it was run properly no messing Uh, and it it was a brilliant place to keep young lads off the street as you say and a brilliant game snooker was so good 
And it was, yeah, it's my first love. I'm so mad about snooker. I love it. Yeah, I can I can sense that. Mm. Um, okay, well, let's move on to your second love then, football. So the outgoing um, Football Association of Ireland chairperson, Roy Barrett, today spoke to the media and he outlined the reasons for his decision to leave his role, saying he believes that the organisation is in a better place than we, when he started, while admitting that it was a low bar when he took on the position three years ago. He said the government directed to, directive to have 40% female board members by the end of 2023 was part of his decision and that proportion currently stands at just 16% but there were other reasons as well uh, let's hear from him there's there's actually a number of reasons why I'm standing down and, and, and obviously the, the requirement to have 40% gender balance by the end of 2023 was kind of in, in, in my mind uh, but there's other reasons as well I mean I've, I've been in the role three years uh, and I've always had a view uh, however length of time I stayed on, I think, you know, one, there's been an awful lot of work and good work being done. And I'm kind of happy uh, that the organisation is a good in a good place. I don't I don't believe the people in in my type of role should stay alone. I do. I do believe in either boards or organisations kind of regenerating themselves. And, you know, maybe when you look at something like the FAI and the relatively tumultuous time that it's come through and all all that's happened, you know, I'm I'm happy now where where things have got to. And then new new blood, new thoughts, new faces with new ideas is 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 a good thing. Alan, mm. I know that it is a good thing and, you know, change when it comes at the right time tends to yield the right results. He did make the point there that they need 40% female board members and they're, they're quite a way off that. But it feels that sometimes with the FAI, change isn't always a good thing, like that they need to steady things a little bit more. I don't know what your thoughts on it. Yeah, I was reading about this during the week and obviously when Roy kind of, when the news was announced that he's making this decision and everything that I've heard about Roy Barrett since he's gone in has always been good and very positive, very honourable gentleman and I think that comes across in, in his decision as to why he wants to do this and you have to take him at his word for that reason, Marie, in terms of the gender mm-hmm. balance thing being improved. It's obviously gone on... Um, a wee while now and you'd like to think those improvements would have been made but I think there was factors Mm -hmm. as to why they haven't been just now but the decision that he's come to whilst it's honourable and I think as I said in terms of it being positive getting towards that gender balance I am tinged with a little bit of disappointment as well because I think he's a good man to have on the board and to be in the FEI because as you said there the improvements that have been made in his time which is coming from a very low barmery, you know, uh, it can there, are, there was only one way which was up mm-hmm. and you'd like to think we're on that road and path now and whilst I've been critical of the FBI and rightly so in the past, I also am prepared now that there's a new regime and since they've come in to give them that chance and that opportunity mm-hmm. to make change and I think change is happening quite slowly but I think it's happening slowly because of just how, I suppose where it was at in terms of and we don't want to go down kind of all that kind of road again in terms of the legacy of of what they were inheriting when they came in uh, initially so I'd like to think that change is happening from what I'm hearing around the place as well and speaking to people and people involved but it is happening quite slowly you'd like to think it would happen a bit quicker but I think because there's so much of a job in hand here it's always going to take time I'm reluctant to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway. Uh, by all accounts, he is a big supporter yeah. of Stephen Kenny. So that's the first thing <laughs> come into my head as well. It is. It is the first thing that come into my head, and from what I've heard, is exactly like you as well. Mm. Is that Roy was very much on the whole Stephen mm. Kenny idea in the project and what Stephen was trying to do. Because there are sides. There's the Stephen Kenny side, and then there's the the people that aren't on his side. Yeah, and sadly there is, and and I suppose in those kind of positions and roles, whether you like it or not, but you do want to have some allies in your mm-hmm. corner. Absolutely. Yeah, and Stephen did have a really strong ally, as far as I'm aware, of Roy in his corner, and to lose him as well who's the ally in Stephen's corner now because as you said you do hear of the the, the divide and there is mm-hmm. very much a divide and people who were obviously looking at Stephen and looking at his situation and looking at results and looking at where we're going and the campaign coming up and they're very much kind of divided on that almost to the point where I think they'd be happy to see Stephen go and somebody else come in so but, but while Stephen is there he still has very much the opportunity he's in control of his own destiny in terms of results and if he can obviously get those results that we all want to see in the new campaign because I think to be fair as well and as much as I'm a supporter of Stephen we're at the stage now where even Stephen understands that it is kind of results like he's had his 18 months two years of betting in if that would, if that's what you want to call it I don't even 
want to use that phrase betting in because I was very much of the view that this was always going to be a long term thing which it was so that period of 18 months two, two years two and a half years I had no problem with that because we had to suffer to try and come out the other side we're obviously still suffering a little bit but I think with the campaign coming up I think it's at the stage now where, where people do want to see results on top of the performances and, and maybe some of the younger lads to have come through as well just move on from that a, a bit. Not too far, though. So reports today are suggesting that the Republic of Ireland's World Cup opener against Australia in July could be moved to the 82,500 mm. capacity Accor Stadium due to huge demand for tickets. So the match is scheduled to take place at the Allianz Stadium in Moore Park, and that holds just 42,500 fans. Alan, isn't that amazing? This is unreal. I only saw this uh, <laughs> again earlier, Omri, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic because we had the disappointment two weeks ago of um, obviously when they, it was announced that the opening match was going to be in the ground that only holds 42,000 mm-hmm. and our ticket allocation I think was only 1,700 I think like which yeah. was absolutely paltry when you think of the Irish kind of people who were over in Australia and the people who want to travel and this is very much our Italian 90 moment for the women's oh, yeah. team as well so they, I, I'm sure people will travel in their thousands over to see it along with the people that are there so the fact that they've changed it I think it's brilliant it's great news and there better be two tickets sitting there for me and Umary, or I'd be very yeah. disappointed we've been on the road now a long time with this team we deserve it uh, Fergal Brennan is with us on the line Fergal since we are talking about the um, Ireland women's team and their World Cup campaign I think it's just right to start with the big game in the Women's Super League this weekend so Chelsea and Arsenal at the top two in the WSL doing battle Chelsea are the leaders they're travelling to Arsenal Arsenal and of course we'll have all eyes on Katie McCabe Yeah I think when you look at this it couldn't be more of a title decider I know that sometimes gets used as a bit of a cliche but halfway point in the season Chelsea and Arsenal have both been absolutely incredible and they've only lost one game each games between them do tend to be what decides where the title goes does it go to Arsenal does it go to Chelsea and Arsenal going into this with a a game less played if they can win if they can get a positive result like they did last season and and go level with Chelsea you think it's just going to be a straight shootout between now and the end of the campaign but even with that extra game you get the sense that if Chelsea come out on top momentum moves to them and, and they've both just been so good this season that it's perfectly possible that after this weekend neither of them lose another game between now and the end of the season so you'd almost say that whoever loses this game unless there's a real turn uh, that could be the, the title race wrapped up Alan. Yeah it's brilliant Marie and I'm just thinking there even uh, before you ask Fergal the question of and it goes back to, I suppose when the criticism and I don't want to go back to the Irish stuff again but when it, when the criticism of when we had our Italian 90 there with the men and thinking of that was the time to capitalise on it and we never did you look at the WSL at the moment Marie coming off the back of England winning the Euros and it's absolutely incredible the attendances they're getting the games and the coverage on Sky and these two teams are absolutely fantastic Chelsea and Arsenal not only domestically but you look at what they're doing in the Champions League as well both reaching the quarterfinals and it's going to be some game on Sunday because the standard of teams as well and the players and individuals and they're not all English mm-hmm. there's foreign imports as well which you need to bolster up uh, the quality but it's going to be absolutely fantastic that game and as I say you can only look on in admiration in terms of where that game is at across the water um, and here like it's funny Al like it's only a small thing now but I know quite a few people who are travelling over for it really? and like to, to hear of Irish football fans mm. travelling over like it's a bit like the, the men's game in the Premier League like that people will go at the weekends just heading over for the weekend going to take in the game but that's what they're going for like just simply to watch the two best teams in the women's football in the Super League going head to head Well I think that's a clear indication of the progress that's been mm-hmm. made Marie in terms of the fact that the attraction that people feel to go over and watch a game like that the same way as you say I'll go over mm-hmm. and watch Man United or Spurs or whatever so it's absolutely brilliant it's all positive there's nothing negative about this whatsoever in terms of the progress that's been made there obviously we're on, on, a, on a path similar all relative to the size of the league and all that kind of stuff and you would like to think we're going to get there one day as well but um, I think in terms of Chelsea and Arsenal and what's what's going on for the women's game and Katie as well who's involved in this integral part of the team as well some experience for her to be playing not only in games of this stature Champions League yeah. stuff as well along with the calibre of player that she's playing with it's absolutely brilliant and she's a leader in that setup as well mm. um Alan, the last time I was chatting to you, we were on uh, different pages when it came to Joe Felix, and I thought that he was a player that Chelsea <laughs> that Chelsea needed, and I did feel he would have an impact uh, on the team, and that he would mm. be, you know, what he brought was was one of the things that would would help them. For a lot of the, the game last night, I, I was 
saying I can't wait to talk to Alan Coy now I've been right and then was it about 58 minutes in two footed tackle and away he goes red card suspended for um for three games and now they're going to be without him they lost to Fulham in the end uh, 2-1 there but uh, it was uh, I just I had a good I had a good so chuckle the, so there's me sitting at home watching that match thinking there's Marie now looking forward to tomorrow's chat <laughs> and tomorrow's evening looking forward to my company and all you're thinking is I'm going to go in and sort him out it <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear from the point scorer Alan <laughs> I have no problem with that Marie and to give you your dues absolutely he was electric mm. for 50 minutes I loved watching him um, now I suppose the point in terms of is he going to come in and change Chelsea's season the point I was probably mm. trying to make was that I still feel as though they need a centre forward because they had the likes of a Pulisic and all those type of players that Joao Felix is something similar but he was absolutely brilliant Marie. for 58 minutes it was almost like he was leading the charge on his own shots creating chances lovely little flicks um, and, and the one thing I know it ended on a major negative for him mm. and for Chelsea but I think what you can take out of it in terms of him when, when we see him and the talent that he has and obviously he has incredible talent because you wouldn't have went for the fee that he went for Portuguese international all those kind of things that are in his favour but he's playing for a team and I watched him on Sunday night I mentioned it here Monday I watched Atletico Madrid and Barcelona and they're so negative as we all know Simeone and, and he doesn't want those players to flourish the likes of a Joao Felix because he doesn't feel as though he can give him the freedom that Joao Felix wants whereas you look at him last night playing in that Chelsea team and I know they're struggling but he will get that freedom because Graham Potter will allow him to go out and express himself and as I said I know it ended on a downer for him and I feel for him in that regard but for those 58 minutes he was electric so for those 58 minutes I was right <laughs> you want me to say you were yes. right alright Marie you were right well done uh, Fergal I was looking at the post-match press conferences uh, with Graham Potter as well and he just seems down and out now is there any way back for him do you think it's a very difficult position that he that he finds himself in because sometimes in, in Premier League circles it gets held up that when one of the big teams kind of quote gives a chance to a manager that's flavour of the month or doing well for a, a team that is maybe mid table or maybe on the um, on the fringes of qualifying for Europe and then it doesn't work or is perceived to not be working then the bigger teams kind of revert to type and they kind of dip back into the same pool of managers, the same maybe a dozen managers that is on the circuit and on the merry-go-round that, that manage the bigger teams. And I do worry for Graham Potter that he's going to fall foul of that. And to be honest, when you look at his record since he's come in, you can see the logic behind it. Just one Premier League win. I like him. I think he's a very, very good coach and I think he's a good manager. But I... I I still personally think that's maybe where he's falling down a little bit. He's a fantastic coach. Where he kind of lands on the Premier League managerial food chain, I'm still not really sure because I do think he is a good manager, but it is difficult to, to be both. When you're the manager of Brighton, you can... I don't want to say get away with, but there is more scope to be a fantastic coach and a good manager because of where Brighton's expectations are. That's not the case with Chelsea. That's not to say that Graham Potter's not capable of doing the job. I do think he's, you know, we, we touched on Stephen Kenny about five or ten minutes ago. He's in a similar position of just bad luck after bad luck after bad luck with, with injuries and results. And when you just think something might go his way, it hasn't. Um but Chelsea, even under the new ownership, they do have a reputation of just being ruthless and sacking managers if it's not meeting expectation. And unfortunately, it seems to be to be tipping that way. And they're obviously out with the two domestic cups. Very unlikely that they'll go too much further in the Champions League. It's all about top four. And I think if he misses out on that, I think he's gone. And if he gets it, it's probably a 50-50 in the summer. Well, they have Crystal Palace on Sunday like that should be routine enough for them but just I think when a team almost gets what's the word yips is that the one yeah I, I get what Fergal is saying about him being a very good manager and not maybe yet at the great manager sta status in terms of maybe the other top clubs around him top managers but to get to that you have to be given the chance and this is his chance for him to become a great manager or a great coach if you like obviously it's not going that way at the moment and it's very much likely that you're looking at him thinking, will he ever get to that stage? But I go back to the point I made, and I watched the game as well last night, mm. Marie, and, and for that first hour, they were good. And Joe Felix obviously was very, very dangerous, as we mentioned, and there was positives. Um, that killed him to send him off, and then Fulham, and Fulham weren't great in the second half. Yeah. Fulham were decent in the first half, second half they weren't great. Keeper makes another howler. It's, it's very hard for the manager to legislate for the likes of that. He made a mistake last week in the game against Man City as well. So obviously... 
as Fergal said he's having really bad run of luck as well at the moment Graham Potter but I still maintain you have to stick with him if that was the right appointment two or three months ago it can't be the wrong one within such a short space of time if it comes to the end of the season and it's still looking like this well then maybe you obviously have to make a major decision but I think under this regime obviously we all know about the previous regime he would have been gone by this stage I still think you have to stick with him because I think he deserves that time and he deserves that chance Marie Yeah I think if he got all these players back from injury Mm. and things were still going wrong then you could make a better assessment of it but there's that picture going around on Twitter and it has all the players that are missing and I think when you even look at that And you have to factor in all those things I really do like you have to and and you can't be judging him after the two or three months then as you say you factor in all the injuries the bad luck Joao Felix gets sent off last night all those different little things the keeper I think he needs a keeper mm. I think he needs a keeper because Mendy for me is better than Kepa he, he keeps playing Kepa but um, I, I would I'd stick with him and I think I think he's a very very good manager he seems like a very very good person as well um, and give him the chance to turn it around it was something similar I watched Nathan Jones the other night brilliant interview after beating Man City bit spiky bit prickly but it was almost like he was kind of saying having to answer critics after two or three games I just don't understand that like if he was the right appointment for Southampton three, four games ago and obviously they were struggling and they were struggling before he came in then he puts in a couple of bad performances or whatever where to lose which is fine because he's only in the door then they go out and put in a performance like he does stick with them give them a chance I think we're just gone so far in the direction of sacking managers that you just can't come back from it now because it's it's the culture now in the Premier League and it seems to be Would you sack him? No, I wouldn't. Brilliant. No, I wouldn't. But I'd like him just to stop tinkering around so much with his formation. I just think he's gone a bit... And I still think, as I mentioned, not only is he trying to find out the best players in terms of their ability, I think he's trying to find out the best in terms of their character as well and who he can rely on, who he can't rely on. Ones You have to weed out those kind of iffy characters as well, especially when you're going through a bad run. And if there's ever a time to find out who the, the good personalities are and the bad personalities, it's on a run like this. You'll know who's, who's mm. behind you and who's not behind you. Well, you'd want to get on with it. <laughs> Uh, Fergal we have a brilliant weekend in store of football and even just looking through the fixtures there's so many standout ones but we can't really look past Manchester United and Manchester City and probably the main reason for that is now now Manchester United are on a really good run of form they look like a different team and there are questions about Man City I know it's only a couple of games where they haven't been firing on all cylinders but we're not used to being in a situation where there are any question marks over Manchester City so it should be a little bit more evenly matched than when they met the last time. It should. Um, it's a very difficult one to judge with with Ten Hag in charge. I mean, it was a calling card of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he, he actually had quite a good derby record, and, and I think that actually maybe bought him a little bit more time in, in certain situations before eventually being removed from his position. Ten Hag is, is comfortably the best Manchester United manager they've had for a long time. For me, he's the best since. Alex Ferguson in terms of what he wants to do with United, the way that he's putting them forward, the way that they seem to be getting back to identifying with with what we associate Manchester United with. And then Pep Guardiola's strange interview or press conference in midweek saying that he had some crazy plans in store for the team that he's going to put out and the tactics that he's going to employ. I think a bit of that was to take away from Ilkay Gundogan's comments um, where he basically said they, they didn't turn up um, in the midweek game against Southampton and got knocked out of the, of the Carabao Cup. I'm really looking forward to this because I think the previous meeting, City just swept past United, as they can do to anyone. United, Liverpool, they, they can do that to anyone when they're really on their game. But United are very different now. And particularly after the World Cup, they've, they've come back in. Ten Hag's got them really tight in terms of a group and the way that they're playing, they're not conceding, um, the type of silly goals that they were before the World Cup. I still think it's always very difficult to pick against Manchester City, even though United have a fairly good derby record in, in the last few seasons. But this, I do think this will be the closest we've seen for some time. Alan, do you think his crazy plans are just to play Haaland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this, Marie. It's the first time, and I've been, I would agree with Fergal that I think he's the best manager since Alex Ferguson as well. There's been so many false dawns for Man United over the last four, five, six years. And... 
you're looking at the team and what I love about what Ten Hag since he's come in he's just gotten on with the job but he's brought the standards back mm-hmm. to Old Trafford and to Man United and a club of that size and I absolutely love the job that he's doing so far Marie it's going to be very very close it's going to be a good gauge in terms of just how far they've come Man United because I mentioned a few weeks ago that even though they're doing quite well and, and he's done a brilliant job I still think they're a bit off the top teams in terms of maybe a title challenge but I certainly think when you look at the form that they're in at the moment going up against Man City who are coming off the back of that disappointing performance the other night and you shouldn't take away from Southampton Southampton were absolutely brilliant as well but it was the poorest I've seen Man City probably under Guardiola they were dreadful and a few players who I'm sure he's looking at the likes of Calvin Phillips and these fellas they'll have to go a long way to try and get back or get an opportunity again under Guardiola they were that bad but certainly from Man United's point of view I'm really looking forward to the game Rashford in flying form uh, the team seems to be working so well as a unit and yeah I'm really I really think actually in terms of since He's come in, and since all the years of obviously the, the doldrums and kind of where they were and the disappointment and kind of the, the highs and the lows, I definitely think they're finally back on some sort of a track in terms of getting back towards the top. Yeah, it, it really does feel like that. And um, will they get top four? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think if they get top four and, and go on and win one of the cups, brilliant season and build on that. Yeah, you wouldn't have been saying that at the start of the season, so it just shows. Uh, we have a text in for you, Alan. Will Liverpool get top four? I don't think so, Marie. No, they're just too inconsistent. And like you're asking there about Man United, will they? The reason I think they will is because they're consistent mm-hmm. and they're on such a good run of form Liverpool who I'm a big fan of but they're just having so many problems and there's no isolated problem to me there's three, four, five problems spread across the team uh, and there's a bit of work to be done there for Klopp to get them back to the level that they're at so I don't think they'll get the top four no well he's in good form anyway Klopp he was out speaking to the media today and it was quite entertaining when um, when he was asked about their current problems and he says they cannot be solved in this transfer window let's hear from him I have I think 6,000 press conference at Liverpool and you were pretty much part of 5,999 in different seats obviously but you were always there if you want to write or whatever oh, today you don't write today you just record but come on now I have to tell you again the money story really, oh, really do I have to tell it again and if you, if you say that's why what could be the reason that we have money like crazy but we don't buy the players even when they are available that's what you think of me after all the years so why buy you ask a question where the answer lies on a table? I really don't understand that. I really don't understand that. You stand here for you drove here, or you, I don't know how you came here, and then I stand here, and this is the question I ask you, you know the answer. And if I would answer now, sit here, no, 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 we have money in the bank, massively, like, we don't know what to do with, but um, the players out there, nah, we don't, nah, I don't know, we don't do that. So, but we have on top of that the problem that in the moment, four of our offensive players are injured. It's like I'm strikers. So we now we buy another one, then they come back, thankfully. Not tomorrow, but they will come back. Um, Darwin soon, the others a little bit later, or yeah, and they come back. And we have seven strikers then. We couldn't even put them all on the Champions League list uh, to make a decision of who goes on, the new one or the other ones and stuff like this. So it's just not that easy. That's why I say you cannot solve the problems, especially with injuries. Injuries, that's a mad, the main big, big shadow on all of, over all of us that we really, because you cannot solve it in a transfer, you know, just sometimes you have to, but usually we just have to get through until the boys come back and then you can then you can use them again so that that's how it is that's why in the idle world in our best season we didn't have a lot of injuries um and it was much more intense than it's now and all these kind of things but now we have them and now we have to deal with that but the transfer market is not for us in this moment obviously not the solution but if something is out there and somebody tells me yes we can do it we will do it but for, for this specific situation i don't think it will happen fergal was that you Klopp was chastising at the top of the answer <laughs> Uh, no, but I can tell you I was at the press conference and it was awkward. I was about three <laughs> rows back and I just I just kind of leant back slightly in my chair and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to put my hand up today. <laughs> uh, sometimes, I mean, he does, uh, I think, slightly unfairly sometimes he's kind of put forward as this figure that just snaps at journalists all the time. He doesn't. I, I you know, I cover his press conferences quite regularly and I think sometimes he just has this... <laughs> <laughs> very kind of straight way of dealing with questions that, that journalists are, are asking because they know that's part of the editorial plan of the piece that they're going to go away and write that afternoon or that evening. Um, and 
Klopp sometimes just gets annoyed about that. He's not the only manager that does, but yeah, that that was a little bit awkward. I'm not going to name the journalist who, who asked the question. That would be a bit unfair, but it was a bit. And he once he kind of gets going, you're just thinking, oh, 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 oh. But no, eventually he uh, he kind of uh, wound down a little bit, and then and some someone else just asked him a question about an injury, and then he just clicked back into into normal mode, and uh, and that was the end of it. I, I don't think Liverpool are going to sign anybody else, uh, or certainly not any big players between now mm. and the end of the window. Um, and Klopp has told you that in, in that little uh, in that little piece of audio. Is he under a bit of pressure now? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of his position at Liverpool, no. Um, I, I really don't think mm. there's many situations that could happen, certainly not this season, that would see um, definitely the club looking to ease him out or him looking to, to push for that. He's been quite open-minded about, obviously, the contract extension, that he intends to fulfil it and he would only look to step away if something major had changed. And, and, and I don't think that is. I think Liverpool Liverpool's issue, which is frustrating him, is that word consistency that, that Alan mentioned before. They're annoyingly inconsistent at the moment by his his kind of measurement and I think we still know that Liverpool particularly in the Champions League a, a big night at Anfield can pull off a performance and pull off a result and, and when they're firing on all cylinders there's, there's few teams better than them in Europe the irritation mm-hmm. for Klopp this season is that domestically when they've needed to turn losses into draws or draws into wins it just hasn't happened um, and I think that's all kind of feeding into this idea that, it, that he is a bit irked about certain things at the moment but in terms of his position no and definitely not from the club's perspective I, I don't think that's that's an issue at all Will we see Evan Ferguson playing? Hopefully Marie yeah um, I was looking at some predicted teams alright today just out of curiosity and most of them had a minute I think he's in yeah. Like, and, and to be fair to, to the new Brighton manager I think once once he puts somebody in and they take their chance he's going to stick with them he has no problem the fact that he's young uh, he's acquitted himself so well so I think we will see him Marie and a brilliant test for him Pity no Van Dyke though. I know, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. I would love nothing more now than to see Ferguson up against Van Dyke. It would have been brilliant, wouldn't yeah, it, Yeah, it would have been class. Um, Fergal, another huge one, Spurs and Arsenal. Harry Kane has scored 14 goals in 16 Premier League games against Arsenal. But whatever about Harry Kane, I'd like to see a bit of a sideline cam. I'd love to see Conte and Artete and see what, they, what way they're reacting on the line. Yeah, um, and they're not afraid to go at each other. We've seen that in previous meetings between the two of them. It's a North London derby. Arsenal pressure. We mentioned Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp there. Arsenal are under pressure because the draw against Newcastle, that Guardiola's nine games that he's been playing with Arteta in the last week. If City get a positive result against United on Saturday, Arsenal have 24 hours to stew before then going to Tottenham. And they do not have a very good record away at Tottenham. Twenty. Uh, 20- Four, no, 2016, I think it was, um, the last time they won a Premier League derby at Spurs. Conte knows that, the Spurs fans know that, they'll be ready to remind Arteta and the Arsenal fans and the Arsenal players of that. I honestly think this is the biggest test of the season so far for Arsenal because despite the fact that Newcastle have been really, really good and forced their way into the top four, Arsenal were expected to win that game. They didn't. Now they need to react. Obviously, they still have to take on City um, in the next few weeks they've got City in the FA Cup as well but this is huge for them because the big positive about Arsenal this season has been this change in mentality or this praise towards a change in mentality a bit more steel about them in uh, in difficult games that don't come more difficult than going to Tottenham where they haven't won for years and having to get a result particularly if City creep up you know, cut that lead at the top of the table by beating United um, on on Saturday. Fergal's a bit hard on Arsenal here. <laughs> Fergal, everyone's hard on Arsenal. Forty-four it's, points it's, out of fifty-one. <laughs> Arteta would have snapped your hand off for that at the start. Yeah, but it's, it's, I'm not. I'm not being hard on where they are. They've, they've done incredibly well, and they deserve to be where they are. I'm just saying this weekend is where we're going to find out another le- whether the, whether the next level that Arsenal fans hope they've got exists because this is real pressure now this is genuine Premier League title pressure right now yeah because we are in the we are in the second half like, we're, so. but we're not we, he's only played 17 games well we're in the, the run it feels like we're yeah, in, but there's so, lo- so long to go and they've, they've answered all the questions so far OK, so then what about the bottom of the table, Al? Six of the bottom eight are going to face off each other on Saturday. We've still loads of time to go. Should these six teams, Everton, Southampton, Nottingham Forest against Leicester and Wolves and West Ham be worried? 
I think Everton should be really worried because you look at the two below them and they've changed their manager and I think it's been a positive change since they've come in particularly Wolves Lopetegui I think has done well and I think the, the, the more he works with those players I think they'll improve Nathan Jones coming off the back of the brilliant win last week against Crystal Palace the unbelievable win against City I know the league form they've lost three games but if they can repeat the performance that I watched against Man City, which I think they will, um, not every week, but I think they will improve under him and the confidence that will give them, I think they'll get out of it. I think Everton are, are I won't say they're gone because as I said, it's still quite early in my head. <laughs> We're not at the, the business end quite yet, but I just don't see any positives about them, their performances, the players, the individuals they have, Lampard, nothing inspires me about Everton right now at the moment Okay well I think that's a fair enough assessment um, just given any WhatsApp groups that I have with Everton fans and they're, they're just going bananas all the time every day seems to be ruined for them uh, Fergal Brennan thank you so much for joining us Alan stay with us because Jane Mangan is up next and no doubt you will want to talk racing we're going to take a very quick break RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM Welcome back. It's time to turn our attention to racing. And I'm delighted to say that Jane Mankin joins us on the line as she does every Friday. Jane, is it fair enough to say it is not the most exciting weekend for racing? It's not. It's not. It's not busy, but it can be busy every weekend. But we have some quite good races. We have a lot to discuss. And you've already had the show during the week. And we're going to see him actually return. You know, it's less than a month since the 18th of December and he's got two rides at Fairy House tomorrow. So if we're not just watching the horses, we'll be watching that man return to the saddle. Is it easy just to get back on again after getting off? <laughs> it has. A, there's a number of factors. I'm sure Davey probably enjoyed a Christmas dinner like no other that he's had since he was a teenager. So you take into account he probably has to shed a few pounds I'm sure he hasn't been in maximum training so just took a little break uh, he could look at it in the sense that he probably had a three week suspension and mm-hmm. returned rather than it was actually uh, he's, he's not I, I, I know Davey he's not a guy who um, would lose his fitness terribly easy so look I think the pivotal point is he comes back with two run, two rides tomorrow at Farius. he's got three at Punchestown on Sunday but he's not riding in the beginner's chase or the novice chase. Davey doesn't need to be riding every horse that Gordon Elliott runs. He's back to ride the, the, the real big horses, I suppose, and, and the real promising types with a view to the Dublin Racing Festival and perhaps even Cheltenham. You mentioned the Dublin Racing Festival and I know some of the entries were announced yesterday, was it? And not too many English horses coming over. Yes, so the eight grade ones, the entries were released for both days and only two... British entries featured. We've all been caught for Nigel Twiston Davis in the Nathaniel Lacey, that's a two mile six novice hurdle. Um, and the other horse being Alan King, so Royal in the Dublin Chase. And that's disappointing, if I'm honest, because there's great prize money on offer. And not all the races are going to be vintage. They, they, there is always, not in that win. And there's a suggestion that, oh, why would the British horses come to the Dublin Racing Festival only to get trounced? Because you know, our record at Cheltenham speaks for itself that we have probably the best horses here or at least most of the best horses here. But if I'm honest, if you're waiting to Cheltenham to get trounced, is that any better? <laughs> That's it, Al, isn't it? It's like it's like going off to to play a better team. Yeah, so like, you'd learn something from it. And I thought, Jane, there was a bit of a revival going on. Obviously, Paul Nichols in great form and he looks like he has some real kind of really strong horses coming up to the festival and all. And I know it's not all just about him, but you'd like to think that they are improving and, and they are willing to take the challenge on, but it doesn't seem so. Yes, and, you know, the record speaks for itself that you take the Paddy Power Irish Gold Cup, it'll be run on the Saturday the 4th. If you have an instance where Gallop and Deschamps doesn't run and Willie Mullins decides he's going to avoid that race it all of a sudden becomes a very winnable race a race that Dan Skelton's protector at or Venetia Williams long Presse could legitimately go off favours in never mind win because we're talking about Royal Rendezvous Kemboy Fury Road Franco de Port Envoilene you know those horses are not going to win the Cheltenham Gold Cup mm. so here you have a race worth €140,000 it's up for grabs and you could win it with a horse that mightn't even play as Cheltenham. 
it just doesn't seem to make any sense no and especially when they're always so critical of the prize money in England you would think they would take their chance mm. over here like especially as UCJ and when fair enough if you're looking at Gallop in the shop and you're thinking what's the point of me going over to, to take him on with one of their horses but if he doesn't run as you say like you would take the chance wouldn't you yeah, I, I also thought that Nicky Henderson might put Epitant into the Chanel Pharma uh, champion hurdle on the first day because we know she can't get near her stablemate Constitution Hill, but who's to say she mightn't land herself an Irish champion hurdle? You've got Honeysuckle there. Again, that'll be a talking point mm-hmm. in itself. If she doesn't win the Irish champion hurdle, does she retire there and then? Uh, what kind of performance will she put up if uh, she's not back to her best her connections have suggested retirement might be on the cards it might be an instant retirement so if anybody is a big fan of hers do try and get to Leopardstown on uh, the 5th of February because every day counts with, with Honeysuckle at this stage of her career uh, you've got question mark over Sigurhard whether he'll go over fences or he'll stay over hurdles and if he does stay over hurdles whether he in fact does go down the champion hurdle route We've seen Stateman and Vauban this year. Yes, they've looked very good, but they haven't looked invincible. Okay, it sounds like there's a lot of talking points. And do you think, uh, Jane, that you brought it up, if uh, Honeysuckle doesn't win, that there'll be an instant retirement? It sounds so harsh. Yeah. It does sound harsh, but listening to connections, it is very possible. It is very possible. And as broadcasters, we're watching that with a view to whether she wins or loses, that kind of a result, what? decisions might be made but I do respect what their viewpoint is that if she isn't good enough to justify her best performance and her best performance is winning the Irish champion hurdle then why run her at all because she has nothing to gain anymore she's been such a formidable champion so that's that'll be a talking point but there will be so many talking points you've got Shaq and Persois entered in everything from the Dublin chase over two mile one to the Gold Cup over three miles whether he'll step up and trip I think that would be interesting to see him up and trip you've got Fasal Vega will he be better than what we saw at Christmas you've got the novice chasers will we see Mighty Potter back from his brilliant win in the Drinmore he's a very highly rated horse but he needs to be seen again uh, to back up what I think the talk is um, and you know the horses like El Fabiolo who've only ran once over fences and they've absolutely sauntered around without breaking sweat but are they as good as they look Jane, just on the honeysuckle one, like when you think of where that horse finished last season and almost looked invincible, you start this season with the same kind of pathway in mind, but obviously it hasn't got started off like that. How can now we're at the stage where at the start of the season you're still thinking of a champion hurdle to the next time she runs she could be retiring? It's a, it, you could say it's absolutely jumping to conclusions. Um, I thought she ran a perfectly good run on her season reappearance. Other critics were of the opinion that she wasn't as good as she was before. And uh, I think because she's such a high-profile horse, Connections have said at the very start of the season that she this will be her last season. And if with a, with a viewpoint to her optimum performance, they don't feel the need for her to run on to Punchestown unless she's going to justify herself. So every run counts with her. And uh, look there was only ever going to be four runs or four or five runs anyway. You've got Dublin Racing Festival, you've got Cheltenham and you've got Punchstown. So we're counting down in the career of Honeysuckle anyway. Mm. Okay, so it's a case of watch this space then, Jane. Um, the Lanzarote hurdle this weekend, I like the sounds of that, probably because it's got the word Lanzarote in it. <laughs> it's, not, uh, it's not running Lanzarote, don't worry. <laughs> Can I go it's to that not, one, Jane? It's not what you think. It's not, it's not sunshine and roses, but it might be coming back to Ireland. We have a very oh. strong contender. We've got Green Glory, if anybody was watching mm. Leopardstown at Christmas, he only won by a length in a handicap at Leopardstown, but he got a £26 hike by the handicapper. That was how impressed the handicapper was. Now, he still runs off a very respectable weight, 10 stone 8. Uh, Charles Burns trains, and his son Philip claims 5 off him, and he obviously won on him at Leopardstown. So he obviously has a very strong chance for an outfit that really excel in handicaps. What else is on this weekend, Jane? We've got the Sylvaniaco County chase on the very same card. Of course, Sylvaniaco County is a very good staying chaser for Paul Nichols, and Paul Nichols has been farming big races every Saturday for the last couple of months. And he's got Pete Dory in here, Harry Cobden. He, he looks like he's a different kind of horse this year. He likes to dominate from the front, so I'd be interested to see if a horse called Paint the Dream could harass him in front and maybe put up a little bit of a show. I'd love to see get a little bit competitive early in that race. And Gordon Elliott sends the goffer to Warwick for a grade two chase, Sam Ewing taking the ride over there. So we have a few contenders in the UK. But really and truly, Marie, uh, Marie this is 
uh, strong competition at home. We've got Fairy House tomorrow, Blood Destiny, a horse that went into a lot of notebooks when he won on his Irish debut at Cork. He takes on Common Practice, Jazzy Matty and Nuzret, amongst others, in the opening race of Fairy House tomorrow, the Juvenile Hurdle. Uh, you've got a, a very good... Um, uh, you've got a very good renewal of the jo- Joan and Dan Moore uh, handicap chase tomorrow, topped by Dunvegan and Andy Dufresne. But I like the horses down the bottom. I like a horse called Silver Class and Big Debate for Robert Tyner and Tony Martin, respectively. I think the weight is on their side. Flame Bear runs the beginner's chase. It's a small field, but he'll be a high-profile name. And then if you skip forward to Sunday at Punchestown, Imperia Pass takes on the Model Kingdom in the first race, the, the Moscow Flyer. It's a grade two novice hurdle. She's a good mayor at the Model Kingdom, but Imperial Pass seems to have this massive reputation coming from Sutton, and that sometimes is something that you cannot ignore. But the race of the day is probably the Madigan Group novices hurdle, the, or novices chase even, the grade three, um, and that features Journey With Me, Manila Crooner, the Mount of Davy Russell, but I love a mayor called Impervious. Her first run in the colours of J.P. McManus this weekend for Colin Murphy. She's a mare that won a graded race, a grade two at Cork last time, and I think she'll take a lot of beating uh, at Punchestown on Sunday. Jane, thank you so much. We said at the start there wasn't a lot of racing on, but you've entertained <laughs> us now with the racing for the last 10 minutes. So See, uh, You said before the break, Marie, that uh, Jane might want to talk racing, and I was thinking, Jane can't talk about anything <laughs> other than... <laughs> We'll get you on some night for the football, Jane. That's a fact. No problem. And you say it every time. And you know what? Aren't you dead right? Might as well be honest about it. Know Um, your strengths. Yeah, know your strengths. That's it. Jane, thank you so much. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Alan, uh, you rush off now. You've got a football game. Big Big football match. Port Marnock, 7 o'clock. Come on, the boys. Have you taken loads of learnings from last season? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, loads (laughs) of learnings. It's all... (laughs) Every day is a school day. Yeah, well, I actually find it interesting that you have so much sympathy for the managers that find themselves in in challenging situations. And I wonder, is it like reflective of your own situation? (laughs) Because I used to slaughter managers. Graham Potter and uh, Stephen Kenny. are you... <laughs> just a realist, Marie. Give these men a chance. No, I think your, Steve, your career. I think Stephen's at the, at the stage where he needs to see results. Give Graham Potter a chance. Give oh. Nathan Jones a chance. What about Give Alan, Alan Colley? Colley a chance. <laughs> right on that note, uh, we're going to take a very quick break. RTE Two FM. Game on on Two FM. Welcome back. Now the Australian Open is just around the corner. It begins on Monday at midnight Irish time and Stephen Higgins of Cross Court View is with me in studio to look ahead to what potentially could unfold. Stephen, let's start um, with the men's side of the game. What are your predictions for this 2023 Australian Open? Well, bar the hamstring twang that he seems to have suffered in the last few days, you would expect Novak Djokovic, who has been allowed back into mm-hmm. Australia. And has been welcomed with open arms. Yeah. Uh, All he, is forgotten. He, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's as if it never happened. Um, he won Adelaide last week and he is chasing a record extending 10th Australian Open. This is his best tournament. Uh, he was excellent in Adelaide, beat Daniel Medvedev. Uh, it wasn't all his way, but the mental strength resilience, we all know what Novak Djokovic mm-hmm. brings in a good mood. If the hamstring is okay, uh, you'd expect him to win, particularly when you think that Rafael Nadal is the top seed as a defending champion, but he is not up to the speed and level of Rafael Nadal that we know. Um, so he's been struggling. I think he's lost six of his last seven matches uh, with various issues. Daniel Medvedev isn't quite at the level that he was maybe about a year ago. So it's hard to look beyond Djokovic unless mm-hmm. there's some sort of injury scare. Of course, it's important <laughs> to remember Carlos Alcaraz isn't playing because he got injured before the tournament. So unfortunately, we won't get that showdown of the two generations. Now, if uh, if Djokovic does go and win, can we say it's fairy tale ending? Do bad guys, perceived bad guys, villains get fairy tale endings? Uh, well, I suppose that's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of the issues on, in were on both sides. Yeah, like I mean, his application. We don't really get into all that again. Mm. But uh, it'll show again if he can do it. His incredible resolve to get through every circumstance you could possibly imagine and still win Grand Slams. So it will be an amazing achievement. Ten Grand Slams uh, at one tournament will mm. be an astonishing achievement. It really would. Uh, what about on the women's side? The women's side, Iga Shantek, the world number one, is of course the favourite. She's a semi-finalist last year. She won two majors. But there was a little bit of vulnerability towards the end of last season. She lost the WTA finals uh, in the final uh, to Sabalenka, who kind of overpowered her. And she lost quite comfortably to Jesse Pagula at the United Cup earlier this year. Jesse Pagula is actually the one who I'd be really interested to watch. She's in the prime of her career. Uh, she won Guadalajara at the end of last season. She started really well this season. She's very tough to beat. And obviously, having finally beaten Shantek after a lot of pain, uh, 
she's definitely one who's in, intriguing. There's also two streaky players in Caroline Garcia and Sabalenka who are playing well at the moment and can beat anyone in the field. Caroline Garcia won the WTA finals at the end of last year. And then Sabalenka won a tournament just last week. And, you know, best of three, as we've spoken about before on the women's side, it's very hard to predict. It's it's not as massive a, a kind of victory in the same way to beat Djokovic over five or Nadal over five. If you can play well for two sets and Shantek is maybe at 70 or 80%, you can do that. Mm-hmm. There are players who can beat her. But if she plays at her absolute peak, she is the best player in the world and she'll win. Okay, so... We have the actual tennis to look forward to and anyone who hasn't had a day off today and didn't get to sit down and watch five episodes, the five episodes of Netflix much-hyped tennis series Breakpoint, uh, which started today. They have that to look forward to as well. Did you get to see much of it? Yeah, I was going through different things. There was a lot of hype about it, that the Curios episode. Basically, there's five episodes released so far. There'll be five released later in the year. It's going back to the 2022 season kind of taking chunks of the season different stories so there's an Indian Wells episode where they talk about Fritz the Madrid episode where we have Angevore and uh, Paolo Bedosa Curios in Australia uh, it's very glossy and yeah, American talking heads and agents and interesting sound effects I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it when I finish it all but any attempt and approach to try and get tennis to a wider mm-hmm. audience of course they're trying to replicate for the Formula 1 series where people who had no interest whatsoever in motor racing suddenly became massively obsessed with it I'd imagine though you're not the target audience because you already have that interest so, so like already a tennis loser so well yeah. I mean you said yeah. it but you do have a, a massive interest so things that maybe might irk you or make you raise your eyebrows are not going to have the same effect on maybe the, the mass audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I like I hope it's a massive success, really. I mean, <laughs> tennis really needs as many people watching as possible. And also, given the huge retirements last year, yeah. Federer, Serena, all these superstars, Ash Barty retiring, you really need these players to kind of become household yeah. names to keep the sport growing and as an important like factor in people's lives. So, so Anna Kornikova is a talking head. Uh, well, Maria Sharapova actually popped up as a talking oh. head. Chris Everett's there, Martina Vatilova. Oh, it's very, you know, Patrick Muratoglu, all the different players. The tours are really into this. Like, I've noticed over the last week, massive promotion across mm-hmm. social media from all the tournaments, from all the tours. So they're really putting their weight behind yeah. this. They want this. More like they they hitched, want to form their wagon to it, yeah. I'd say, yeah. So, I mean, of course, I hope it's really successful. I do think it's quite uh, overly stylized a little bit. Um, and I'd kind of like it to be a bit more raw to see like tennis is a very difficult sport and very tough for players particularly getting up to a certain point but uh, we'll see how it goes I mean look if it's a big success hopefully that should lead to great things for tennis going (laughs) forward it sounds like we're actually doing a a proper review on on it so out of 10 uh, oh, I haven't given up. I'll, I'll come back to you again. When I, I'll <laughs> you see, I'm have, putting you on the spot here now. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably write up a big scathing okay, review. Okay, right. Yeah. And, and mark it, see how many stars. Um, okay, Stephen, thank you so much for coming in. Enjoy the tennis next week when it gets going. Um, that's all we have time for today. There's a huge weekend of sport to come. So much to look forward to and so many talking points. The official chart show with the Blonde Tracy is up next. RTE 2FM.